You are listening to Sheet Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional owners and continuing custodians of Lutruita, Tasmania, the land on which this podcast is recorded. Our current serial is Musketeer Space. For the foreseeable future, at least the rest of this year, I did not mean to wait until well into June to come back to Musketeer Space, but there we go. There's still so much Musketeer Space to go. Uh, I This week, I decided to get back to a spreadsheet I started a while ago of all the character names that I've ever put in books on the grounds that I'm starting to suspect that I'm repeating myself. Uh, I got past 300 in the spreadsheet. I've barely scratched the surface. And one of the things I had to do was comb through Musketeer Space looking for character names. And I'm like, mm, do these even count? I definitely wouldn't be calling other um, <laughs> characters in other books by some of these names. Uh, so, yeah, clearly I can never use any even slightly French names in any future projects. Um, weirdly, so far, the name that appears most often in all of my my works is Colin. Didn't think I reused Colin so much. Uh, but there's even one in Musketeer Space as a, as a spaceship. So there we go. Colin's all over the place. All right, Musketeer Space, Chapter 33. The Hotel Coconard Deluxe Bathroom Experience Fancy restaurants in super fancy hotels were desperately uncomfortable for Dana. She was going to roast Athos in a pie for dropping her into this without warning and without backup. He knew she would hate it. The bastard probably thought it was funny. Aramis and Porthos were both enjoying themselves amongst all the wealth and glamour. Dana was also going to roast them in the aforementioned pie. Captain Porthos, how lovely, said a voice that was both chilly and welcoming. It was an impressive feat. An older woman in a designer suit bore down upon them with a smile that did not reach her eyes. Always a pleasure to see the Royal Musketeers here at Hotel Coquenard. Madame, it's been too long, Porthos replied graciously. They kissed each other's cheeks as if they were the best of friends. Creepy. You remember Captain Aramis, and this is our friend, I'm Sergeant D'Artagnan. My friends, this is Madame Coquenard, our host. Dana blinked several times before remembering that indeed... Her new position came with a new rank. Why was the name Coquenard familiar? Delighted, purred the evidently not delighted Madame Coquenard. I shall send Remy out to discuss the menu with you. If it's not too much trouble, agreed Porthos with a gleam in her eye. As the manager moved on to another table, Dana leaned in to her friends. What the hell have you dragged me into here? No idea what you're talking about, Porthos said, widening her eyes so much that her long lashes got tangled in her ruby red wig. It's all going to be fine, and we get a nice meal out of it, said Aramis, though it was obvious that her attention was elsewhere. Dana followed her gaze and saw a familiar figure sitting at a table at the far end of the restaurant. 
Captain Tracy Dubois, with what looked like several elderly relatives, and not a husband in sight. Their eyes met, and they shared a long, slow smile across the length of the room. Oh, you have to be kidding me, Dana moaned. She was going to kill Athos so hard. He wasn't even worthy of a pie. Chef Coquenard was a large, handsome man who approached their table with great trepidation, as if he expected to be greeted by his very own personalised death by pie. He greeted them and managed to explain the more complex and artistic quirks of the menu in between a whispered argument with Porthos about why exactly he had failed to come to her aid back on Chantilly while she was wounded and stuck for funds. Other bullet points of the argument included the inappropriate nature of tonight's confrontation under the eye of Madame Coquenard, who preferred to keep up the illusion that they were still married to each other for business reasons. Yes, of course dinner was on the house, because Porthos was on the verge of causing the most spectacular scene of righteous fury, and Chef Coquenard agreed that he mostly deserved it. Also, the beetroot foam was not to be missed. Dana could have lived without being asked to weigh in with opinions about the preferred sauce to be smeared alongside sashimi escargot and how she felt about vintages from the Islands of Truth. Aramis was so busy flirting with her girlfriend across the restaurant that she did not participate in the debate about Paris Gâteau versus Crème d'Honneur. I feel better now, said Porthos as her lover returned to the kitchen to start their appetisers. Good to resolve relationship issues before they fester. I'm so glad for you, said Dana, viciously stabbing her bread roll. Madame Coquenard returned to pour their wine with a politeness that made it clear she disapproved thoroughly of Porthos, but was never going to publicly admit it. Dana made for the ladies' room as fast as she could, in stupid frock and stupid heels. As she swung around the grand staircase, she saw a table concealed in a far alcove and almost stopped breathing for a moment as she recognised one of the occupants. Milord Vaniel de Winter. How was it that he kept crossing her path? Paris Satellite was a big place. Perhaps the universe was trying to tell her something, like she was running out of time if she wanted to rescue Conrad Sue before she was sent off to war. She crept closer, keeping an ornamental shrub in a gilt-lined pot between herself and Milord. Perhaps she might overhear something of use. As she moved in, Dana realised that she recognised his dinner companion. Milord had finally won the attention of the Marquise de Ward, that political candidate from Valor, who had captivated his attention back on the train. Well, now she was practically obliged to eavesdrop on their conversation. The Marquise de Ward was as effortlessly beautiful in person as in all the newscasts. She was a similar height, colour and build to Dana herself, 
Her deep brown shoulders were surprisingly muscular for a woman who was famous as a fashion plate, not a kickboxer. Speaking of her fashion choices, the Marquise was all in silver for the fancy restaurant, poured into a sheath dress that looked like it had been welded from sheet metal. Her hair fell in black twists, with silver beads that must have taken hours to set in place. Milord de Winter had gone to some trouble as well. His suit was grey, with a shirt embroidered with silver threads. Had he called ahead to make sure their outfits matched? That was disturbing. But if he really wanted to match colour schemes with the Marquise, why wasn't he wearing his silver secret agent hair? Dana shifted closer, but couldn't hear what they were saying to each other. The mood had shifted from politely flirtatious to something tense. Milord spoke too fast, leaning in. She tilted her whole body back as if to make extra space between them. Finally, the Marquise de Ward rose, speaking loud enough that Dana could hear from her hiding spot. Don't think I'm not grateful for your interest, Milord de Winter, but I have so many political advisers already. I'm not sure you're making as strong a case as you think you are. Please, give me a little longer to convince you, pressed Milord, and accept this token of my professional esteem. He pushed a small, pretty object at her. It looked like a retro powder compact, decorated with a gleaming mother-of-pearl surface. The Marquise sighed, but accepted the gift. I need a spot of fresh air, she said coldly. She swept off in the direction of the bathroom. De Winter, left behind, looked like the popular boy in school receiving his first ever rejection and not sure how to handle it. Dana hesitated for a moment before realising that, as a woman, she could follow the Marquise without raising anyone's suspicion. Aramis and Porthos gave her confused looks as she moved past their table and kept going, doing a lap of the restaurant. The ladies' bathroom of Hotel Coquenard was a gleaming treasure. It was like stepping inside a jewellery cabinet or a hover chandelier. Every reflective surface sparkled and gleamed. There was no hiding in here. Dana found her face staring back at her from a dozen different angles. At the enormous central mirror, the Marquise de Ward touched up her makeup, swiping lip gloss across her mouth, and turning a dial on her wrist to adjust the colour. Honestly, she sighed, meeting Dana's eyes as if they were peers. I think I preferred it when men were after me for my looks rather than my political value. It occurred to Dana that the practised charms of her alter ego, Alexi Charlemagne, might be of use here. I noticed your gentleman friend, she said lightly, joining the Marquise at the mirror. If you think he's not interested in how you look, you haven't been paying attention. He couldn't take his eyes off you. The Marquise made an unimpressed huffing sound. You say that, my dear, but believe me, he's only thinking about my potential career in public office. 
and what he can get out of an alliance. He turns on the charm when he wants to, but everything beneath the surface is cold as ice. Dana readjusted her neckline, since she had no more than half a centimetre of hair to primp. I know what I saw. The Marquise gave her a thoughtful look, trying to work Dana out. What a darling gown you're wearing. I'm sure I saw the Duchess of Buckingham wearing one like it last month. She's a trendsetter, all right, Dana said with a smile. If she was going to keep up this espionage thing, she might have to invest in gowns that weren't Buck's hand-me-downs. What a horrendous thought. Well, I hope you're having a better evening than I am, said the Marquise, making for the door. Dana spotted the compact clamshell, where the Marquise had abandoned it near the, shell, near the sink. You forgot this? Keep it, said the darling of the fashion broadcasts, with an airy wave. And if that handsome silver-tongued date of mine asks anyone if they've seen me, please don't volunteer that I slipped out through the kitchens to avoid him. The bathroom door swung closed behind her. Dana reached down and picked up the compact clamshell. It was unlikely that my lord would have put any evidence of Conrad Sue's latest kidnapping on this thing before presenting it to the Marquise de Ward, but she could not afford to discard any possible clue. It occurred to her that if the Marquise de Ward could escape this bloody hotel through the kitchens, then Dana could do exactly the same thing. She felt a brief prick of guilt about ditching Aramis and Porthos, but not for long. Dana put the clamshell in the tiny evening bag that Aramis had pressed on her, because the stupid dress she was wearing was apparently too fancy to include pockets. And she made a break for it. The hotel didn't have a back entrance so much as a giant blank wall. But Dana managed to double back and leave the hotel by the main lobby without being spotted by either her friends or Milord de Winter. That didn't mean that she made it out scot-free. A few steps from the hotel entrance, a strong pair of hands grabbed her around the shoulders and dragged her into the alleyway around the side. Dana was prepared to fight, but when she saw her assailant, she lowered her fist. Hello, Lexi, said the no longer friendly voice of Bianca B. de Winter, the Countess of Claric. How perfectly lovely to see you again. Hello, B, said Dana warily. Or should I call you D'Artagnan? Cover blown, then. Dana wrenched away from B's grip, straightening her dress to give herself a moment to collect her thoughts. It wasn't personal, B. I was working. With a brother like yours, you should understand what that means. B. de Winter wore loose clothes, as if she had come here straight from a yoga class or fencing training, Dana considered. B. looked lethal here in the alleyway, a sword and gloves hanging on one side of her belt and an arc ray on the other. Perhaps Dana wasn't the only one who'd been playing a role on that train. Nothing personal, repeated B. And next you're going to insist that you're not stalking my brother-in-law? 
Dana spluttered at that. Are you serious right now? Vaniel has a lot of enemies, B said. I was hoping you weren't one of them. Dana saw red. The old familiar buzz of anger burned through her. I serve the crown, she snapped, shoving B further away from her. If that makes me Vaniel's enemy, that's his choice, not mine. I wasn't even here because of him tonight. My friends tricked me into a stupidly fancy dinner. I didn't even get to eat, so... What is going on here? Broke in a sharp, beautiful voice. Milord de Winter stood at the mouth of the alley, in his silver suit and brown hair, either exasperated or amused, possibly both. Vaniel, darling, said B, without taking her eyes off Dana, did you know that our friend from the train was actually a musketeer spy called D'Artagnan? Milord went very still. I did not know that, he said calmly. How enterprising of her. What are you going to do about it? B demanded. I'm not going to start a scuffle outside a five-star hotel, sweetness. I'll see you back at the ship later, unless you'd rather walk with me now. B looked confused. I'm meeting friends. I'll bid you good night then, B. Good night, Dana. Good night, Daniel, said Dana. Apparently they were on first turn, first name terms now. Then it was just Dana and B staring awkwardly at each other. So what? Dana said impatiently. Are we going to fight? We're going to make out against the wall for a while? Even better, we could go back to reading trashy magazines and painting each other's nails. That was such a super good time. My family is everything to me, B hissed. I don't know what you're up to, but I'm going to make sure you stay well away from us. Good luck with that, Dana snapped back. I've been trying to avoid your family all week, but here I am getting hauled back in. B's eyes went dark, and then she pulled the padded gloves out of her belt and slapped Dana in the face. It kind of hurt, but Dana barely noticed because she was recovering from the fact that she had been hit with a pair of gloves, like something out of a vid drama. Are you challenging me to a duel, or do you just like hitting people? Name the place and time, B said. Dana opened her mouth, but was interrupted by a chorus of aristocratic voices. B, honey, there you are. Yo, Claric. Two men and a woman, all athletic and wearing the same kind of designer sports gear as B, crowded into the mouth of the alley. We only have the practice rooms till 2200. What's going on with you, love? I was busy, B said between gritted teeth. Dana would now have to shove her way past three more people in order to get out of this damned alley. She hated it when there wasn't a clear exit. Oh, 0600 behind the Luxembourg, she said, keeping her gaze steady on B if you're so keen to address your issues with me. Done, snapped B. Hang on, 
said one of her friends. He was a head taller than Dana, and his shoulders were crazy wide like he'd been built out of lamb shanks and robot parts. His meaty hand slammed down on Dana's shoulder. A duel, cleric, and you're leaving us out of it. Take your hand off my shoulder, said Dana calmly. The idiot ignored her, leaning more heavily as he continued speaking to B. You know it's been on our bucket list since we arrived here. Paris isn't Paris without an illegal duel. Move your hand right now, breathed Dana, or I'm going to make you move it. Doncaster, B said, sounding exhausted and pissed off. If you can't find your own damned duel, I don't see why I should share mine. Dana stepped aside from the enormous new aristocrat, who had been using her as furniture, swung around neatly and punched him in the face. Pain shot through her hand, all the way up to her elbow, but it was worth it. Oh, 0600 behind the Luxembourg, everyone's welcome, she announced, glaring at the other two new aristocrats, until they stepped quickly aside to let her out of the alley. I have three friends, you have three friends, let's have a party. Dana gave B a lazy salute as she made her exit. For future reference, if you want to fight duels over your brother-in-law's honour, check he has some first. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week. Music.